Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on to a Monday edition of the pod. This is actually going to feature me talking a lot with no interruption. I don't know why I did that, though, because uh, that is clearly not something that Danny is uh, in Orlando right now. He'll be back uh, on Wednesday, and we have some stuff that we pre-recorded for tomorrow. But we're going to have Dylan Murphy on to talk about the two biggest games of the night, Denver-Portland and OKC-Miami. But I figured I'll just catch you up a little bit on some of the scores around the league, and then after Dylan is on, we'll talk a little bit about the playoff implications and some news. In addition to OKC beating Miami and Denver beating Portland, Brooklyn beat Chicago 114-105 in a key tankathon game for the Bulls, also key for the Cavs, but they did not get the desired result alan crab went completely insane with 41 points on only 19 shooting possessions 8 of 11 from three for him 12 of 15 from the field i don't know how the hell he shot nine free throws i didn't watch this game you couldn't pay me enough to watch this game in fact but crab went crazy so that's good news for the bulls lottery odds cleveland beating new york 123 109 getting them to the 50th win the Cavs were absolutely on fire and got up 45 three-point attempts, hitting 42% of them. And for the Knicks, Frank Nilakina had a nice uh, offensive game with 17 points and five assists in 40 minutes. Really the big bright spot for them. He was actually plus three in those 40 minutes. Minnesota was tight with Memphis through about three and a half quarters, then was able to pull away. Jimmy Butler, who made his return over the weekend against the Lakers, 23 minutes, only three out of 80. Looked a little bit better in that Lakers game, but Carl Towns, another ridiculous game. 24 points uh, on only 15 shooting possessions, 18 rebounds, five on the offensive end. Led Minnesota. Ben McElmore played 42 minutes for the Grizzlies. In another game in which a team flirted with disaster, the Spurs finally put away the Kings, although they trailed uh, by double digits in the third quarter, but then it was a 38-19 to fourth that carried them through. Manu Ginobili has been fantastic lately. He had 17 points. He was plus 17. The Spurs won this with their bench. Bryn Forbes was plus 25 as well. The Spurs starting backcourt of Murray and Danny Green played only a combined 31 minutes and did not play well. LaMarcus was held down with only 6 out of 19 for 15 points, but the bench took care of things against the Kings who were led by 25 points from Willie Cauley-Stein on 20 field goal attempts in 38 minutes. At one point, the Kings were 7 out of 10 from 3, and the Spurs were shooting it horribly. They still only ended 22%, uh, but the Kings went cold, hitting only one of their last eight three-pointers down the stretch. And then the Pels clinching what looked like an improbable playoff berth. They are 20-13 and 13 since DeMarcus Cousins went down. Uh, amazingly, they have going to have a better record this year than they had in that other playoff season when they had to get to 45 wins to beat out the Thunder. AD was ridiculous in this win over the Clippers, which was really not close after midway through the third quarter. Pels 
went on a 10-0 run to take control late in the second and then poured it on in the third ad was 28 points in 35 minutes plus 28 five blocks for him and drew holiday who continues his fine play had 11 assists in 33 minutes the clippers actually played their guys to some degree although lou williams didn't play and austin rivers didn't play williams was listed as out with a sprained right ankle so uh, the clips just couldn't score well enough uh, although they did play deandre jordan they did play tobias harris uh, until things got out of control dj negative 36 in 22 minutes but the clips obviously were eliminated with that loss to denver over the weekend and didn't really have much reason to compete other than just playing spoiler which apparently was not sufficient motivation so before we bring dylan on i want to tell you about blinkist since you're listening to this pod you probably love learning on the go and with blinkist you could become better informed in less time than you thought this is a, a product that i won't say i had the idea for but that I had kind of wished for because I realized I would read these nonfiction books that for self-improvement or just the, for information you're trying to apply in your life or whatever it is. Um, yeah, you know what? You're probably going to spend 10 hours reading this book. And then how much of it are you really going to retain? I'm guessing it's probably only going to be about 15 minutes worth of information. And with Blinkist, they will give you the key insights of over 2,000 of the best-selling nonfiction books in just 15 minutes. You can read them or listen to them uh, in just 15 minutes. If you have a 45-minute commute, you can get the insights of three books so you're really just being so efficient with your time and they're constantly adding new titles from their team of experts some of their top titles right now emotional agility by susan david the four tendencies by gretchen rubin the subtle art of not giving a you can say giving a fuck here right uh by mark manson even though it has an asterisk in it i can't really pronounce that so i'll just say the word the way to get started with them is Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Capspace is that URL. And you can either start a free trial or get three months off of your yearly plan when you join today. Once again, Blinkist.com slash Capspace, that slash Capspace URL is easy to remember because we talk about Capspace all the time here on the program. Blinkist.com slash Capspace, use that slash Capspace URL and let them know that you came from us. So let's bring in Dylan Murphy now with Danny happily on vacation in Orlando. We had to draft Dylan in. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Let's talk a little uh, Denver and Portland. Absolutely. Always good to be here. So what were just your overall takeaways in this one? It was a 88-82 Denver victory, although it was close down the end here yeah you know things looked a little shaky early on i thought portland was getting really good looks um obviously they took an early lead um i think evan turner missed three pretty open threes early in the game which obviously is part of denver's game plan but i thought just the the shot profile that portland was getting was really good um and then denver you really could just see the the desperation you know it's really interesting one of the things that you know people always talk about at the end of games is why teams play hero ball and iso ball and all of that and i think this is a, a great example of why that happens is because when teams get desperate in playoff situations the the intensity level rises and your iq rises and you're just thinking and playing harder and and all the the set stuff really becomes a lot harder to execute because teams are so much more locked in on it and i thought you know portland if you look at what they ran at the end of the game it was mostly iso stuff because denver was shutting off all of their ato action yeah i thought uh 
Denver's defense looked pretty good down the end now your defense is always going to look better when the opponent goes seven out of 33 from three including two out of ten from Lillard Aminu who's been hot this year was only one out of eight but Denver was no better at six out of six so that made the teams a combined 13 out of 59 from three hence uh, the ugly scoring rates in this game I did you see more from Denver's defense in this one down the end or was it a case of the Blazers just missing shots so what I saw was basically Denver using Portland's defensive tactic uh, which you know a lot of teams use San Antonio uses it again against Houston which is you're dropping your big way back you're fighting over top ball screens and you're trying to drive everything sort of into that mid-range area but the problem with that strategy uh, you know in a, in a regular season game is you know a Steph Curry a Damian Lillard and a Kyle Lowry comes off a ball screen and pulls that three you know that little pull-up three that that really everyone's starting to, to hit now. But when you get a really high energy level, and especially the desperation that Denver has, if you watch their guards just fighting over picks, Lillard wasn't getting any clean looks at the three-point I, line, so he kept having I, I thought Barton inside. was awesome. I thought Definitely. Barton was awesome defensively in this game, which is not not something that we see from him very often. I don't say he's a bad defender necessarily, but to see him actually like play really good defense, and also you, know, you can argue maybe that Dame is not quite himself coming off that ankle sprain in Dallas a couple of games ago. Sure, and you know, and and all that's part of it. But you know, when you're fighting over those screens and you're you're putting in high effort, now it's driving the ball handler Lillard in this case below the three point line, and Jokic instead of having to come all the way out to the three point line to contest, is able to sit back, and so now he's just waiting for drives at the rim. And because he's so barrel chested and long, it's really hard to score against him when he's ready and waiting. Now he gets into trouble when he has to slide his feet a ton and sort of mirror the ball handler, but he doesn't have to do that because he was a lot further back. And I thought that really allowed him to look good and allowed Denver to look good. But really, it came down to their guards just busting their butts, getting over screens, and really making Lillard, Lillard operate inside the free throw line and the top of the restricted area. Yeah, and to your point there, Denver allowed only 17 out of 33 shooting at the rim. The 33 is a rather large number of attempts. They did give up seven fouls on those plays as well but uh, only 51 percent at the rim is a very good number that's very much as you mentioned the portland playbook and i thought barton was excellent as well just denying dame lord out on the wing as well and because they you know aminu shot so poorly turner they were letting him shoot and then i think he just after missing those open ones kind of got away from that uh and they stopped looking for him they could be that aggressive out on the floor and know that if there was a back door there'd be plenty of help waiting for them absolutely i think to your point about you know making sort of no easy catches on the perimeter you know one really common thing that a lot of guards get stuck on is let's say you get denied the ball in the wing and now you have to you know make multiple v cuts to get open and now you're catching it three feet above the three-point line now you've wasted four seconds and a lot of energy just to get the ball. So when you get the ball screen, are you now going to want to dribble 30 feet at full speed all the way to the rim? Probably not, right? You're going to probe a little bit, see what's there, and maybe kick the ball out because it's it's a little a little bit tiring. And so I think that happened a lot, you know, to McCollum and Lillard. Not that they're out of shape or anything, but just over the course of the game, it can really wear on you when the guards are just dogging you constantly and making just every little thing difficult. You know, it sort of just knocks the wind out of you at 48 minutes. Yeah, and if they're trying to reverse the ball and maybe catch the back 
line of the defense in transit from one side of the court to the other if there's a denial that buys everyone else time to get back in a position reset the defense so nonetheless despite all this praise for denver it was looking pretty ugly for them midway through the third they trailed 64 53 mike malone went out and got a technical after jamal murray tried to dunk on caleb swan again i couldn't really see whether that was a a foul or not they were getting absolutely destroyed in the offensive glass nurkic had eight offensive rebounds uh through the middle of the third quarter uh what is it that was making him so difficult and then how were they able to shut that off because he actually finished the game with those eight offensive rebounds yeah you know i'm not really sure exactly what they were able to do to to stop him from getting offensive rebounds but uh what, what sort of led to it is a lot of times when you come off those ball screens and the big is either really high or really far back it allows an easy pocket pass and so when that little pocket pass is being thrown Nurkic got a couple of them where he got his own rebound and so what's happening is a guard is rotating into tag and he's either shooting over that guard or big is coming over to recover and they're out of position so he's able to not have anyone really boxing him out cleanly and then on top of that let's say he gets the pocket pass and kicks it to the weak side again he's being boxed out by the wrong person so given that he's so physical you know one of the things I I tweeted out tonight that he has such strong hands and like a lot of times you'll see the ball tipped multiple times but he's able to just rip the ball down and, and prevent those multiple tip situations and it can be really demoralizing when you give up one two offensive rebounds then you give up three four five six and you just sort of get beaten down over the course of the game but again you know I think it maybe intensity kicks up and you're just realizing you know if we don't grab this board our season's over and that can be quite the motivator I thought also that because Aminu wasn't hitting they decided we're gonna put Jokic on Aminu and you'd think uh, and then they had Paul Millsap that, that number one put a better pick and roll defender in there if they wanted to run pick and roll with Nurkic and number two I thought Millsap although he got scored on in the post once was just really really fighting to get his ass into the knees of Nurkic so he couldn't jump and I thought he had a number of nice box outs in the fourth quarter absolutely and you can live with those couple post-ups all right so Nurkic scores once or twice but you know when push comes to shove and there's four minutes left to go in the fourth they're not throwing the ball inside right they're going pick and roll or iso with CJ McCollum or Damian Lillard so you know that matchup's not really going to hurt you in crunch time when it counts and you know I think for Portland we saw really the the difficulty in terms of you're creating good shots but you know Aminu didn't I think he missed his first three threes a couple of them were pretty open like you said Jokic was guarding him and leaving him open Evan Turner bricked open threes and you know it can be really frustrating in an offense when you generate good shots and you can't knock down open looks and you know it's just it's it's a tough situation for Portland because you know obviously Aminu and Turner bring their own positives but when it comes to just Lillard having to create every single time and them not being able to finish for him you know it can be pretty demoralizing. Yeah, Lillard also uh, missed a few key free throws uh, in the third and fourth quarter. It was only 7-11, which would be a disappointment for him. Uh, surely that maybe could have changed the complexion of the game uh, down the end. Um, and then I thought that Jamal Murray, he had a bunch of open threes too. I mean, it was really just, this was a, a rock fight, which is a surprise, especially when the Nuggets are playing at home. I thought everyone was playing really physically. The rest weren't calling a lot uh, as well. Uh, much to Malone's chagrin, guys couldn't make threes. There's a lot of offensive boards. The players had 18 offensive boards. The, the Nuggets had 10. So it, it was really uh, an enjoyable throwback type of game 
for me, uh, but the Nuggets were able to grind it out barely at the end. I thought one of the key plays, Murray had just missed three wide open threes in a row, basically. He was a little dejected. His teammates were kind of consoling him. And then rather than continue to do that, he was able to get a key back door late in the clock off of Jokic, who was kind of stood up on the perimeter, didn't really have any, anywhere to go. And I, I think it was uh, Lillard who he beat back door, and that put the Nuggets ahead for good, I believe. Yeah, and that was a really tough finish, you know, running full speed to catch the ball and then reverse late in there. You know, that was a, a really good play, I thought. You know, and back to Murray before, uh, you know, when he when he missed those threes, um, Denver came back into the game with Devin Harris in the game and, and sort of their bench unit um, to start the fourth quarter there and the end of the third. And I thought, you know, Malone made a, you know, what is the classic decision, which is your bench unit plays end of third, early fourth, and you bring back the starters to finish. But Harris was, you know, he scored on a pick and roll finish. He knocked down a three. They were playing well. They're rolling with that lineup. And, uh, you know, there's seven minutes to go in the game and you've just retaken the lead and, you know, Murray's not having the best game of his life. And, you know, what do you do there, right? I mean, the obvious choice would seem to be go back to your starters and, you you know, you ride with the guys that you've ridden with all season long. But at the same time, you know, at what point are you making a game-to-game decision? And especially Murray misses three threes when he comes back in the game and then he blows the floater. Granted, that was a tough floater, but, you know, those are all makeable shots that you have a guy who's making shots at that point. So I thought that was a, you know, not necessarily the decision uh, that I wouldn't make, but uh, just that it was a decision that I think was made that wasn't as easy as it seemed to be. How did you, this is Gary Harris's first game back from that sprained knee. He played 18 minutes off the bench, had a big dunk coming down the lane. Uh, how did he look to you just overall in uh, his first game back? Yeah, I mean, he looked fine to me. I think, you know, it's tough, though, when you're a shooter and you're not getting consistent minutes to find that rhythm. And, um, you know, he missed a, a pretty open corner three there in the in the fourth. And, you know, but I thought he'd look fine. And again, it's like if they're going to be in the first round of the playoffs, <laughs> I think he'll be fine. But they obviously have to win now to, to make it on Wednesday against Minnesota. So, you know, but I, I think he looked fine. It, you know, it's unfortunate for them that they, they didn't have him because he's, you know, a guy that you know, maybe could have made this game a little bit less uh you know difficult and especially on wednesday having him fully healthy will be really important but uh he looked fine to me yeah a few other thoughts that down the stretch I mean, another key dame miss free throw was uh i thought the nuggets kind of went into they're up five with about a minute 40 left and i thought they went into clock kill run it down to six seconds try to run a pick and roll mode a little early there when is your thinking of when what is the time to start doing that of like where burning clock becomes as important I, I in my opinion that's a little too early to save an extra you know you can maybe wait five seconds but then try to run through and actually run something is my opinion there it's not really until you're under a minute that i think you want to really bleed off everything you possibly can scoring to me is more important there I agree. It, it's a tough situation. You know, I think when you're really trying to burn clock all the way down, uh, you know, so you go at six or even go at five if you're just going ISO. Um, but if you're sort of in that in-between where you still need buckets, but time is on your side, usually, at least when I was coaching, go, go at about 10, uh, set that ball screen. So if, if, you know, nothing materialized out of it or we had kick, kick, whatever, swing, swing action, drive and kick stuff, there was some time for that to develop. But so I think 10 seconds is about the time to go. So you're, you know, you're, you're melting some clock, but you're also allowing 
allowing yourself a score and giving, your chan- giving yourself a chance at a, a secondary action out of that. Um, but, you know, one other thing I wanted to mention, which I thought was really interesting. So th- I think their situation was Portland was down two and there was about 40 seconds left. It was the play where Murray drove left and he got fouled by Lillard and sort of knocked to the floor. Yeah. Um, you know, so on that play, uh, typically Nurkic and pick and roll, right? He's dropped back way back into the paint. Uh, but obviously in that situation, right, they're trying to take away everything. So he's being a little bit more aggressive. But with five fouls, he started wrestling with Jokic before the ball screen happened. And a lot of fans were jeering at that point, thinking maybe he would pick pick up a six. But I think that's a really interesting situation that happens a lot in clutch basketball where guys are so eager to make the play and they get so aggressive that what ends up happening is they, they that aggression is used against itself. And in this case, Lillard was pressuring Murray way out above the three-point line. Nurkic is, you know, damn near above the three-point line. Murray just makes one move to his left and he blows by both of them, you know. And if you're watching that on film, you know, in the second quarter, you know, six minutes ago in the second quarter, you're probably yelling at your two defenders saying, what are you doing? This isn't our coverage. But, you know, at the end of the game, everyone's so anxious to make a play. I thought, you know, both of them sort of lost their head a little bit about, you know, what they're supposed to be doing on that play. And I think you still have to play the way you normally do, which is Nurkic is back. Murray, you allow him to go left and and pull up and you can test, right? Because the alternative was Murray got to the rim, three guys converge on him. And of course, you're going to foul him when everyone's desperately trying to stop him from laying the ball in. So, you know, I thought that was just another late mistake by Portland. But, you know, it's really tough in those situations where you need to stop and you can't rely on the numbers, right? You're trying to cut off everything. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm not sure why you why you can't rely on the numbers there. I mean, if that's, the, if that's the best strategy, I mean, I understand maybe if you're like, okay, we've got this star on the other team. He's hot. We got to get the ball out of his hands, you know, and it's late clock and they're not going to have time. You know, maybe that's why you get more aggressive there. But yeah, I mean, this is a team that is you know, maybe the most extreme drop coverage team in the league uh they really try to give up mid-rangers it's not like murray had been on fire so yeah i, I think that's a that's a good point there that that might have been a mistake and dame was the one who ended up committing the foul and that's another one where you know murray's six five dame you're six foot you know are you really gonna block his shot at this point you got you should be trusting the help behind you in theory but that was that was key because they he hit those two free throws and they were never able to get the ball back with a chance to, to tie and then the other play i alluded to was uh, the fast break after barton turned it over when they ran the clock down dame missed the free throw on the end one that could have gotten them within to really change the complexion of the game as well but they never the only chance they had to tie it was going for a three um and so they never really were like in a non-desperation mode but yeah you're, you're gonna react to the other thing i was saying yeah so you know i think it's you know I do agree with you. I think it's, uh, you know, play the numbers there and you allow the pull up, pull up Jay there. But I also think that, you know, in that situation, it's very hard to tell your players, play the numbers here. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll rear view, rear view pursue on the, on the pull up. Lillard will contest from behind. Nurk, you stay back, watch out for pocket pass, guard the rim. You know, what if he knocks down that shot? Then everybody's looking at you saying, how can we defend that? So, you know, I think from a coaching perspective, on some level, you have to trust your guys to be able on one play to shut down everything. And so you get aggr- you get a little bit more aggressive, take it away. And I think also at the end of games, even at the NBA level, guys, you know, they they get nervous and you know they make plays that maybe they're not used to making or they try to do too much. Or then I think defensively, I mean, if you look at the numbers in the last minute of NBA games, I'm pretty sure everyone's shooting percentages go in the toilet.
good, right? Because the defense oh, is, sure. is jacked up. And I think, you know, so in that sense that maybe it is the right play to um, try to take everything away. But, you know, it's a really tough call. And I think, you know, the mechanics of that too are, you know, you haven't called timeout. And as the coach, you're standing there on the sideline. And, you know, you, you can try to instruct and, and say, go here, do this, do that. But if you're yelling out your coverages, well, then the offense is hearing it too. So, you know, it's it can be really tough to sort of make adjustments on the fly that way unless you're calling timeout. You know, if you don't have the ball again, you can't call timeout. So it's tough. Last topic, a little more general here. How is the integration of Paul Millsap back into the lineup offensively for the Nuggets been for you? Like, what have they been doing and how is that going, you think? You know, well, I think, you know, tonight was a good sort of example of when Millsap has the tools to play in this offense, particularly alongside Jokic and Harris, where guys cut and move and he's a really high IQ player and he's very versatile. You know, I don't think Millsap is great at any one thing, you know, anymore, but he definitely can, can play a lot of roles on offense. But I think also... You know, he played in two sort of different Atlanta teams where one where it's, you know, they're winning 60 plus games and everyone's sharing it. And then last year where he sort of had to do everything. And I think you're getting a little bit too much of the Millsap who tries to do everything. But, um, you know, I, I do think in the fourth and when they made their run, he was on the floor and he was making plays. And, you know, like we talked about, he was guarding the post and then he was spreading out to three and then he was getting rebounds. So, you know, I think when he's focused on doing the dirty work and letting, you know, the ball find him, then he can be really effective but I think you know it's tough when you miss the entire season to find that rhythm with everybody yeah and that was something even at the beginning of the year when he was healthy I thought they struggled with it to some degree last thing just on what a rock fight this was Denver shot 33 percent from the field 40 percent true shooting we mentioned the 18 offensive rebounds well because they missed so many shots uh portland was only 30 percent offensive rebounding and so i mean that's not great if you're denver but it's not awful either and i thought they were able to clean that up at the end and denver not much better 47 percent true shooting for them uh and this was a relatively low turnover game also and still you know these teams just couldn't score i mean a lot of it was just that the three ball wouldn't fall for either team uh portland has lost a few straight now they lost at dallas they lost it with um i forget who they lost against without lillard uh they lost at san antonio they lost this game anything you seen from them that uh, indicate you know why they've fallen off after such a hot streak uh starting in the beginning of january i I don't think you can read too much into it i mean i think you look in the context of these games also i mean this game denver's entire season is online and and, you know, they take them down to the wire. San Antonio's San Antonio, tough team. So it's not a, not a terrible loss. And so, you know, yeah, obviously you want to pick up uh, a couple games here at the end of the year and go into the playoffs with some momentum. But, you know, I, I wouldn't read too much into it. And, you know, as a coaching staff also, you know, it's, uh, you know, you kind of have to look at the bigger picture here. If you want to, you know, ride your guys and let them know, like, hey, we got to pick it up a little bit. But at the same time, you know, it's a brand new season in a week. So, you know, you kind of have to keep that mentality too. Yeah, I think the two things that I would point to, maybe they're really related Lillard just hasn't been as on fire uh, as he had been although he did play pretty well uh, against San Antonio with 33 points in that loss and then uh you know the loss of Mo Harkless I think has hurt them um having to just get uh, the lack of that other shooter on the floor maybe that's related to Dame not being quite as effective part of it is just you know Dame hasn't been hitting the three-pointer as well he's had a few he's been two for ten two for ten two for eight two for ten three for nine one for seven and he had one six out of twelve in his last few games so it just has not been quite as hot from three and that's uh, they rely on him so much to hit those shots if they're gonna be good 
Yeah, no, that's definitely going to be, I mean, that'll make or, make or break, you know, how they do in the playoffs. So, um, you know, but it'll be interesting to see how teams guard him, you know, whether they sort of give him the, the hardened treatment where they, they back off and they fight over and drive him to the mid-range or they stay aggressive to take away the pull-up and, and make him throw pocket passes to Nurkic all day long. And, uh, you know, Houston adapted by having Capella, Capella just learned on the fly how to distribute from the free throw line, but we'll see, we'll see what teams do to Portland, so. Yeah, and Nurkic uh, maybe not a guy who can pass, but also a, a guy who looks for his shot maybe more than, than some on those short roll plays. Um, all right, let, let's do a, a quick read here, and then we'll get to uh, OKC and Miami, and then we'll we'll catch up on news uh, and the playoff race right after this. Before we continue, I'm going to tell you about SeatGeek. That Denver-Minnesota game is going to be awesome. That's going to be for the right to get into the playoffs and if you want to go see that game or some of these playoff games, SeatGeek is the best way to do it. SeatGeek saves you time and it saves you money. I got an awesome deal earlier when I took my fiance to a Bucks Wizards game and it didn't take me any time because what you can do, they have this technology called Deal Score. They rank all the tickets based on value. You go on there, you see that big green dot dark green is better and you know that there are good value tickets in a particular section so you click on that section you pick the one that's ranked as the best value they've aggregated ticket sites together so you don't have to go to a bunch of different places it's all in the app and what used to be a 20 minute long process especially for an analytical guy like me who would always want to compare all the sites and uh, compare various seats with each other and try to determine whether the seat that's four rows back and eight seats to the left but is five dollars cheaper is a better deal now i don't have to do that anymore i just rely on their technology to do it for me and it's done in 90 seconds so what do you get started with them if you haven't yet is to download the SeatGeek app and enter that familiar promo code capspace today easy to remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's promo code capspace for 20 dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase use that capspace code let them know that you came from us so let's talk about okc and Miami now it was a close game through three OKC completely took control in the fourth outscoring them 39 to 12 it was still a three-point game 92 89 about halfway through the period and then OKC finished it out with a 23 to 4 run so how was OKC able to break away here so I think it really comes down to uh, how Miami runs their offense, which is basically they do, you know, so every team runs pick and roll in the NBA, but they do a lot of like pinch post and throw and chase actions. So pinch post meaning like you know, it's a two-man game isolated on one side of the floor, or the big will pop to the elbow, guard will hit the big, and they'll either hand it off or fake the handoff or do that whole thing. And then throw and chase where you the big throws it and then runs directly into a pick and roll. And what they're doing is they're cycling through all these throw and chases and pinch post actions. You get four or five pick and rolls on every possession and frankly it's extremely exhausting to guard and it's effective and so they just wear teams out with their energy on both ends of the floor and on offense they have five guys that can uh you know make plays maybe not great playmakers but they can all put it on the ground usually and and do something with, with it especially james johnson right he's so versatile can pop can roll do all that but ultimately right they're not that talented and so i think okc over the course of the game the first three quarters they weren't as locked in defensively as they needed to be and and, you know, they had to really rev it up. And I think in the fourth, they just realized, hey, like, we win this, we're in the playoffs, let's pick it up a little bit. And so their energy picked up. And ultimately, while all that action is really good, and if you if you have really good players, then it's almost impossible to deal with. But, you know, Miami doesn't have the personnel. And I think ultimately, OKC, just their personnel was too much on offense. And then defensively, they just, you know, decided to really lock in and really give the effort that's necessary because Miami forces you to give that. Yeah, I thought that 
they defended the three-point line well against the Heat. They were five out of 22, but the 22 attempts, uh, I think, is very encouraging uh, for them. Uh, It was definitely a struggle for Dwayne Wade. This is not the matchup for him. I mean, he couldn't score on Paul George five years ago, so asking him to do that now was a little much, and, and Wade was negative 31 in 24 minutes two out of 10 from the field um some really ugly plus minus numbers in this one justice winslow was negative 35 in 34 minutes although i don't know that that was necessarily his fault he had a nice statistical game individually um and then i think miami despite the fact that they move the ball they don't really have the guys to just go at carmelo anthony the way we've seen some other teams do like they don't really play offense that way and so right uh we found them really you know having to go into the teeth of the okc defense over and over again yeah and when you when you're having to drive it you know all those guys go at pg you know when westbrook wants to guard he can guard you know yeah uh, he was good go. down the end against harden the other day yeah i mean look the fact is like defense is often just a function of your lateral quickness and your general strength right it's can you slide with a player and can you take the bump when it comes and westbrook obviously given his athletic profile should be or could be one of the best defenders in the league if he gave that effort so when he does it's like wow this guy can really guard but you know a lot of guys when they're that good on offense it can be pretty exhausting to play that hard on both ends especially when you're guarding the opposing one but when it's when when it's winning time the last six minutes or you know okc had this game wrapped up for them but the fourth quarter it's you know hey i'm gonna lock in for 12 minutes on d and that's what happened so we should certainly discuss how russell westbrook needs a mere 17 rebounds in his next game to average a triple double for for the second consecutive <laughs> Here, you want to spend the next 10 minutes uh, discussing that? Hey, I'm pulling for it, so you know, let's see what happens. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm kind of pulling for it too. Why not? Like, especially, uh, but I mean, I would love to. I mean, I'm probably not going to watch that game because I assume they're going to blow out Memphis in their final game. And OKC did clinch a playoff spot, of course, with this win. But, uh, you know, I would love to see the film of him, like, desperately trying to get 17 rebounds in this last game with the game decided that would be extremely funny if that, uh, in fact, happens. Um, they, they may be just, like, trying to baseball pass it off their own offensive backboard to him at the three-point line over and over again <laughs> by the think, end of the game i just think of like 20 years ago when brett Favre fell down so michael strahan oh. <laughs> break the sack record you know like something like that yeah yeah but marcus old just uh you know oh i almost had that defensive rebound go ahead Russ uh but yeah anything else that you took away from this one I mean it wasn't close on the end so we won't spend quite as much time on it yeah you know I just think in Oklahoma City you know I know they haven't played they've been up and down most of the year but in terms of just a team that can really make some noise that I think is underrated to a large degree I think it's them just because offensively obviously they can get it going I know Melo hasn't been the same offensively but he can give you one or two games still and defensively I know teams will target him more but they've still still proven that even with him on the floor they can be very good on that end especially when they're giving that effort and in the playoffs their effort level is going to rise so you know i i think tonight in the fourth quarter them on defense is going to be a preview of what it's going to be like to play them for four quarters and especially in the first round they're probably going to be playing someone that they are going to have to you know ratchet it up several degrees to win so you know i would not be surprised if if they're a really tough out or you know make make a run here it would be remiss in not mentioning the performance uh, of jeremy grant with 17 points 9 of 11 from the foul line do you think i mean 
politics aside, do you think they'd be a better team at the end of games with Melo out there or with Grant out there? I think it's. I think you have to offense defense it. Um, yeah. I think that's. I think that's the only way you handle it. And I think you know, in a situation where you know, sometimes like tonight, for instance, Plumley was Mason Plumley was on the court, and then there was a foul, and then Plumley stayed on because they were going to go back on defense again. You know, when it's a situation where you feel like in the run of play you might not get a sub, I think you might have to lean with Grant. But I think if you can possession by possession it, that's that's the way to go. Because ultimately, right? How are you going to guard Jeremy Grant? You're going to sag off him, and you're going to say, Jeremy Grant, you're going to have to beat us in the last 20 seconds of a game. And if I'm OKC, I don't feel great about that. But, you know, if Melo's out there, I feel pretty good about him being able to uh, make a play or knock down an open shot. So, yeah, I, I I feel a little bit differently, as you may guess by by the thrust <laughs> of the question, just just because I, I think Melo, especially and it depends on the opponent, too. You know, if you're playing a team like a Miami or maybe a Denver, you know, a team that's not going to go after matchups then I think you can get out with Melo more. But if you're going against the Rockets or even Golden State has zeroed in on him at the end of games and the end of quarters, then I think it becomes a lot more difficult. And considering that you've got Russell Westbrook who can create a mid-range jumper for himself, even if, you know, there's five guys on his team and or four guys on his team just standing directly under the basket and they're not guarding him, he can still create that shot and that's probably the shot he's going to create at the end anyway. I would rather just have the defense out there. And I thought they were really successful in the clutch last year with that formula of just, you know, Russ bring us home, create a out every time and uh you know we're just going to defend uh, on the other end you know definitely i mean i can you know i'm not yeah I think it's not as easy it's sense, not like an obvious it's not an obvious answer there but yeah i, I mean one, but one th- uh, who are we kidding neither of us would have the balls to actually bench uh, carmelo unless unless <laughs> no. they're like down in the series or something no, uh, i mean I, I think one thing though to consider also is early in the year they've sort of gone away from this but they had mellow showing on pick and rolls a lot and i think yeah. that's that sort of can take away because most of the teams right in the playoffs are going to end up downsizing a bunch right generally the last couple of years it's playoff ball has been pretty small as teams realize we're playing our best players regardless of position and that's usually the smaller players and i think mellow you know just hard showing on pick and pop so you don't have to switch and he gets a hand in the passing lane on the pop i think you can survive that and i think he has shown that he's able to do that even back when he was a nick so um you know i think that's one way you'd get around it but you know ultimately you've got to read it right you know if he's getting killed and you're in the second quarter you know um um, and, and like you said, you know, politics aside, but the fact is, like, you know, Billy Donovan's going to have to have that conversation, you know, if it happens, and you know, Melo's going to have to be mature enough to handle it. But I think he is, and but hopefully it doesn't come to that because, you know, for me as someone who's always admired Melo as a player, you know, I want to see him be successful on a successful team. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with all that. Yeah, and his his inability to hit a shot this year has been kind of mystifying. Uh, that's yeah, been a surprise you know, to me. I, yeah, I agree, but I'm also I'm not as caught up on that because I, I just feel like you know he's got 13 years of evidence of being able yeah. to knock down. Shots. I agree with you. So we won't the, push they're shove. not going to just leave him open, too. You right. know, I mean that's something we always exactly. talk about, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so his his gravity is enough, and it's gonna. I think it just makes it that much easier for Russ to make a play at the end of a game. So all right, well, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, going to do another quick read here, and then we'll be back. Oh, actually, no, we already did two reads, so never mind. Uh, I'll just come back re- real quick and try to wrap up with the playoff picture and a little news. Uh, I'll. Uh, we missed Danny. This will be probably my longest ever solo talking uh, on the pod, but I'm going to give it a shot here. But uh, thanks for coming on and helping out tonight. Absolutely. Well, really missing Danny now as I try to talk about today's results and how they affect the playoff race. One game that I didn't discuss 
Milwaukee in another sphincter tightener was tied with Orlando in the third but went on to pull away 102-86 Jabari Parker had 16 points on 7-13 Shabazz Muhammad a signing that Danny and I made fun of but he's been awesome he had 22 points in this one and Giannis has actually missed the last two both Bucks wins uh, to rest that ankle and try to get that healthy for the playoffs to be very interesting to see whether he plays in the finale against Philadelphia so now the Bucks have the inside track for the sixth seed and a lot of interesting incentives for them now seven is probably where you want to be but if they can maintain the sixth seed they're 44 and 38 the Heat and Wizards are both 43 and 39 if the Bucks can maintain the sixth seed they will get the 17th pick and you'll recall that their pick only goes to Phoenix if it's 11 through 16 if they end up tied with the Heat and Wizards that changes the Bucks play Philly in Philadelphia in their last game Philly definitely is going to be trying to win that one to get the third seed and be on the Celtics side of the bracket they're at Atlanta tomorrow night a game that as we'll get to the Hawks have every incentive to lose although that was the case over the weekend as well and they won against Boston a game which the Celtics didn't play their starters late if Philly wins out they're at 50 and 30 right now That would get them to 52 wins, one more than the Cavs could reach. The Cavs only have one game left. That is at home against the Knicks. They would have to be massive favorites, of course, in that one. So Philly probably needs to win out to get the three. Otherwise, they're looking at the four. Indiana, really an outstanding late season surge for them. You'll recall that they're projected to be right down there with the Heat and Wizards and Bucks because they had an extremely tough schedule some injuries broke their way like the game against Golden State but they're going to be playing an irrelevant final game against Charlotte at home so it'll be either 49 or 48 wins and they will be the fifth seed and probably praying for the Sixers to lose one of their final two games they can play the Sixers instead of the Cavs we mentioned the Bucks schedule the Heat 43 and 38 one more game remaining for them and that is Toronto at home the Raptors do have a little something to play for which would be securing home court over the Warriors but if the Warriors lose against Utah which as we'll get to they're gonna have some incentive to do I think then the Raptors would only have to win one of their final two actually no I'm sorry one more Warriors loss and the Raptors have clinched home court against everybody except for Houston Golden State does have the tiebreaker against them by virtue of uh, winning the regular season series 2-0. The Wizards still have two games left. Boston at home and a game that the Celtics have no incentive to try in. They're locked into number two. And then at Orlando, in which Orlando has a big time disincentive to try so the east a lot of interesting stuff there would the bucks rather keep their pick or try to get the easier matchup the perceived easier matchup in the first round tough to say i mean they definitely have been resting Giannis, so it seems like they're more concerned about that aspect unclear again whether he will play in that game against philly on wednesday let's turn now to the tankathon memphis with their loss today they are 22 and 59 they only have one game left they have clinched the number two seed in the lottery phoenix has clinched the number one seed in the lottery by virtue of memphis's win over detroit over the weekend 
So that leaves us now with Dallas, Orlando, and Atlanta all tied at 24 and 57. And all the teams we're about to talk about only have one game left. So Dallas, Orlando, and Atlanta could be anywhere from three to five. There'll be, of course, the coin flip to determine the order between any of those teams tied. Not the order, but the weighting of the lottery odds, which is will change things a little bit. Remaining schedule there. The only remaining double tank game on the schedule is Phoenix at Dallas. But Phoenix has no intention incentive to lose although i hard to imagine it's going to matter because they're not going to play devin booker he's been sitting out this whole time and he's really the only guy who would make much of a difference whereas dallas again has a, a huge incentive to lose orlando they're probably going to lose their last game which is washington at home and Atlanta, their last game is Philly at home. They seem destined to lose that one. So really, this Dallas game against Phoenix at home, they're going to pull out all the stops. We They tried as hard as they could last year against Memphis in the final game. That actually ended up working out even though they won that game. Uh, Memphis wasn't trying in that one because they were locked into their seed, but they ended up getting Dennis Smith uh, at number nine. So that worked out for them, but they're going to be trying real hard to tank there. Otherwise, they'll be locked into the fifth seed in the lottery instead of splitting the odds with Orlando and Atlanta. Then Sacramento, only one game remaining. They're at 26 wins right now. That is one game ahead quote-unquote of the bulls who are looking like the number seven seed in the lottery sacramento they need to lose their final game which is against houston at home could actually see them winning that we'll see whether houston is going to try it all in that game probably not you know it could be a james harden and chris paul play 20 minutes type of game the rockets will actually be on a back-to-back they're playing against the lakers the night before so yeah, you could easily see nobody playing in that game for Houston, and that could be a potentially dangerous win for Sacramento. Meanwhile, the Bulls, they've got Detroit at home. Neither team with much incentive there to win. Detroit, though, it doesn't matter. Their pick is going to the Clippers regardless. Then you've got both New York and Brooklyn. Brooklyn has won some key games to really hurt the Cavs. They were right in this mix, and then They've won these games against the Bulls. They improbably beat the Bucks in Milwaukee and have actually won three straight now. So that Cavs pick has really turned. And we always talk about, oh, hey, you know, not having the incentive to tank. Well, this is the year, you know, Brooklyn is, that hasn't mattered in these past few years. This year, it has mattered. They've been trying in these games and they've been winning them. And so, you know, that pick could have been looking like, have odds of being a top five pick. Now it's looking like it's probably going to be either eight or nine. And Brooklyn, their last game is at Boston. Again, you know, one they maybe could even win. The Knicks, meanwhile will have every incentive to lose again at Cleveland. They're going to lose that game in all likelihood. So probable that Cleveland through Brooklyn is going to end up the number nine seed. Philly then probably looking at 10 or 11. The Lakers and Charlotte are pretty close. The Lakers have one fewer win than Charlotte, but still have two games remaining. Detroit going to the Clippers at 12. That's locked in. The Clippers own pick is locked in at 13. And now we get to the West, which I'm not going to go through every single tiebreaker. Probably do that tomorrow once we really know exactly what it is. See where Utah is at. But the big news of tonight is that Wolves-Nuggets will be a play-in game. Due to tiebreakers, though, if the Nuggets do win and the fact that the Pels and Spurs play each other, then there's some tiebreaker scenarios involved there. If the Nuggets win, they actually cannot be eighth. They would have to be above one of those other teams, so... 
looks like and a, a lot of teams could end up tied at 47 wins a lot of teams could end up tied at 48 wins this is reminiscent of 2016 in the east when you had charlotte miami boston and atlanta remember them when they were in the playoffs all tied at 48 and 34 and there was a, a massive tiebreaker scenario there the other big game still pell spurs on the last day of the season and then jazz blazers the jazz the only one of these teams that has two games left at home against golden state and then on the road against portland on wednesday if the jazz are able to win out they're at 33 losses so are the blazers the jazz would actually be the three seed the blazers were looking like a lock for the number three seed but just have not been able to get a win so they certainly are going to be trying to get that third seed meanwhile golden state their incentives against utah which will be their last game of the season on tuesday are pretty minimal to win and in fact if you want to say that the jazz and the thunder are their least favored opponents a warrior's loss can ensure that they face neither of those two teams and that would certainly be the case for me i actually would be a little worried about the wolves and nuggets for them as well the theory being that i'm just not sure how much offense this warriors team can muster and if it happens to turn into an offensive series i don't know if they could keep up you know probably won't because their defense will be good but i think pels or spurs would be the preference if you're golden state so that's really where we're left here everybody has made the playoffs now the clips are out of it of course having lost a couple of games over the weekend except the wolves and nuggets and just so you know the wolves given a 61 percent chance of winning that home game against the nuggets but a lot we don't know there how many minutes can jimmy butler play to get them in both teams will have a adequate rest at least a day of rest so that's going to be an awesome game can't remember the last time we had a play-in game essentially in the regular season between two teams that the loser was going to go home so that's going to be awesome and hopefully tomorrow especially once we see what happens with that jazz warriors game we'll be able to go through what some of the tiebreaker scenarios are for the last day of the season a little news to get to in boston marcus smart the earliest he could possibly return apparently from that thumb surgery is april 27th so that's going to mean he's going to miss at least their first round series cleveland has also signed kendrick perkins to the dante jones memorial spot probably the big reason that they waited although it had been reported they would sign him earlier that they waited was just to save a bunch of luxury tax meanwhile in dallas we mentioned that dirk was going to miss the last few games and he's actually going to have a cleanup ankle surgery uh his mobility had been even more compromised from that but his intent is to return for next year that's why he's having this surgery and then jj berea is going to miss their last game as well due to a left oblique sprint and he's been out you'll recall that patrick mccaw had that scary incident where he's fouled hard by vince carter he's going to be reevaluated still in about four weeks from the weekend he has a lumbrosacral bone bruise so it doesn't appear that he'll be any kind of a contributor to their playoff run and their guard depth gets even more compromised and that of course is why they are signing quinn cook they released omri caspi in an expected move he had been injured with an ankle injury had not even been practicing the clippers sign cj williams to a three-year deal that particular two-way contract standoff is over they're going to use some of their mid-level exception this year and then he's going to be on a minimum contract for two more years after this to, they couldn't use a minimum contract because that minimum exception is only for a two-year deal even 
you know, in one of the years is the last two days of the season. Marshawn Brooks, who's been scoring like a point a minute for Memphis, he's a, agreed to a guaranteed two-year deal. And then even more importantly out of Memphis, uh, Robert Para has informed the NBA that he will keep control of the team. You remember there's that buy-sell provision with Steve Kaplan and Daniel Strauss. The best I could tell, each of those two gentlemen owned 14.2% of the team, according to an article back in 2012. So at their $1 billion valuation to buy out those guys a little over 280 million dollars what Perez is going to have to come up with but he will in fact retain control of the team and that'll be interesting to see going forward mark stein and then chris harrington listened to the pod and followed up with this uh, on twitter of the belief that uh, jb bickerstaff has a good chance to return there given the fact that para has retained control in milwaukee malcolm brogdon returned tonight played 14 minutes uh only one out of four but was plus nine ian clark suffered what looked like an ugly ankle injury but he actually was back tonight against the clippers and they new orleans signed jordan crawford who had played for them earlier and we had noted how he had been a, a casualty because they were wasting all these roster spots uh, on guys like ajinsa and ashik now they actually have space for him and they also were limited by both the luxury tax and the hard cap so at the end of the season not as much of an issue and then finally sacramento and again we're seeing now more of these teams do this they're moving their g league team from reno where the weather from sacramento over to reno can be a difficult issue during the winter with snow in the mountains that's going to be moved to stockton which is a, about an hour south of sacramento so a little bit easier to get to and it's interesting to see you know, some teams, the Hawks, the Heat, have their G League team further away. The Heat's philosophy is, hey, when we send you down there, we want you to stay there for a couple of weeks, really get integrated into the G League team culture. Other teams, they want to send guys down easily to practice, play games, and then come right back. So interesting philosophies there, but the Kings going more in the latter direction. All right, that'll do it. Tomorrow, Danny and I, we pre-recorded this, but we're going to look at some of our other preseason predictions see how those fared stuff like mvp playoff race coach of the year etc and we'll catch you up on tomorrow night's action as well if you have any advice for you doing these kind of solo podcasts let me know this is my first time doing it so it's a process and i appreciate any feedback that you want to give me talk to you all tomorrow at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.